Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas can change the world. I'll be attending the Protective Intelligence Summit this week. This will be published after the summit, and I've been holding a series of conversations with my trusted friends in the industry, really trying to get an idea of what this conversation should look like. And if there's anyone I can have a great conversation with transparently, one that is going to help us inform and infuse this give and take we'll have with key executives at this conference. It's the Vice President of Global Security for Pepsi, Stephen Antoine. Stephen, welcome back to the great conversation. Good morning, Ron. Hey, thank you. Glad to be back. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to start with a very simple concept. You know, if we did a survey of executives and we're we're going to be actually looking at this survey during during this summit. Uh, no surprise, I think you tell me no surprise, but insider risk is up. Um, threats to the executive team and their families are up. Uh, and cyber physical security threats, the converge threat are up. No surprises in some of these statistics, even though they have ticked up considerably. But I'm kind of interested in this question. Given all that's happening, and, and given that the pandemic more than ever has forced CEOs and their teams to really include security in a lot of strategic discussions, I'm going to go back to an old question I asked you in your previous life. From the CEO and the board of director mindset, do you believe your peers in the industry are now um, receiving from received or are receiving from their CEO and the board the fact that risk resilience and security are mission critical to the success of the organization? Do you think that is occurring uh, on a majority of cases now in in our industry? I would say it's always been mission critical. I, I think the, the perspective by which they define which part of mission criticality has evolved. So it used to be it was mission critical because it saves you money on your insurance, right? Yeah. Um, because classically trained security professionals will talk about credible and, and specific risks, right? But proximate, proximity matters most. So you know, if I if I threaten to kill you, but I'm halfway across the country, you know, those are just words and they don't have any really action behind them. So they're specific and they may be uh, credible, but hard to execute from across the planet. I think what you're seeing at the executive levels of, in a lot of cases are that risks are now more proximate. So they've always been out there. The, the challenges were being hit by them. And it's costing money. It's, it's costing loss. Um, and, and from a resilience standpoint, those that can get back to business fastest and recover stronger win. So from that standpoint, I think when they talk about mission criticality, the focus has changed. Well, and, and, and there's also been an evolution in the function itself, right? How we define it as well, too. We've grown a lot, too, as a function. You know, when you I love. I love proximate. That that's going to be a theme, I think. Proximate, something that's always been there, but now it's right smack in your face. And the second thing I just gleaned from you is costing us money. Now, money can be 
manifest in a number of different ways. Is this just disrupting our processes, our supply chains, uh, our our cultural thinking? You know, what do you mean by costing us money? All of the above. So to to your point, you know, if you want to be uh, a little bit more clear, all of those things, supply chain, labor issues, uh, actual cash, uh, you know, uh, availability of product, uh, the ability to make, move, ship, employ, uh, danger to um, culture. You know, you have to be extremely deliberate and intentional in how you cultivate cultures because people haven't been at work for a while and some may not work the same the way they had before. Uh, So all of those things, it costs the business differently than it did before. Right, right. Famously, a famous quote attributed to a number of different people don't need to go into it now, but it is a famous quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Oh, no doubt. And and the inference there is, and you've spoken about this to me many times. So the personal mindset of the executive, the personal mindset of the culture when it comes to risk, resilience, and security, it infers that, you know, security is becoming or has become a team sport. And that personal mindset is everything in teaching, preparedness, understanding, and also um, what teams are mustered under critical situations. So tell, tell me why it is important for security to be the responsibility of multiple people and tell me how difficult that is. Let's just don't pretend that's an easy thing. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it's funny. When I worked at the government, we used to say that you know, we used to give briefings at embassies and we used to ask the question, who do you think is responsible for your security? And there were all kinds of answers, but the real answer is you. You are. It does take a, a village, right? Um, and to your point about resilience, it's not just being resilient and snapping back from things. It's about being anti-fragile so that when things happen, you actually become stronger because of it. Um, you know, you and I talk quite a bit. Since the last time we talked, I read an article uh, by a gentleman named Ron, Ron Ross, and he was asking the same kind of question. Um, but but he he phrased something that I think that that I think about quite a bit. And you know, people have always said that security is everyone's responsibility. But but that's more than I think, as he put it, more than just a soundbite, um, because it has significant implications as to way as to the way organizations staff um, how they conduct day to day operations. Um, and how how successful they are in implementing a holistic approach to um, a business protection strategy that ensures mission success, right? So the reason it's everybody's business is because it's in fact everybody's business. If we're defining business as success, the the ability to make, move, and deliver products wherever, right? Um, that's an all hands on deck. You know, that's supply chain, that's operations, that's legal, that's HR, because all these facets, you know, play a role in h- how things happen. Um, and, and they're interconnected in ways that weren't necessarily obvious to most. Yes, yes. I mean, they're obvious when they're obvious, but they're not necessarily obvious to most. Um, no, it's really interesting. If I was sitting in the room with you, Stephen, and I represented one of the core disciplines, whether it's finance, HR, legal, operations, sales, marketing, whatever. I think in terms, if I'm good, 
I'm thinking in, in terms always of how my people perform roles in a measurable process using whatever tools I've given them to execute the outcomes that will add value to the business from my discipline, from my silo. And I also realize there's people in the room who can help me do that if I'm really good at that executive. So, so, but I know how difficult that is when I'm focused on what I do. So tell me, what are the lessons learned over the years you're seeing about the constraints now? Just the constraints for a second. What are the lessons learned? What are the things that you're going to face in making this truly a team sport, operationalizing the concept? Well, well, let's use supply chain uh, as an example, because every every business is suffering from some sort of supply chain affect. Uh, and if you think of security as a business enabler and a growth driver, risk becomes what are the things that are impediments to business success in, in getting that getting those supplies through the chain so that we can conduct business, right? Um, I, I referenced Ron Ross a, a, a little bit ago, and the reason I referenced him is because he used a perfect analogy uh, in talking about NASCAR and their clarity of mission and being organized for success. I don't want to mess up his article, but there was an article that was posted, and it was pretty clear, but basically it says that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, so I hate, hate to butcher it, but basically he was saying that if you think about NASCAR as an organization, um, you know, it's it's an organization that governs governs competition amongst racing teams that engineer, operate, and sustain high performance race cars. Um, and the cars are all all des- designed to be fast and operate in hostile environments. Um, but all of them are designed to protect the team's most critical asset, and that's the people, the driver. The car doesn't drive itself, so the driver is the most important part of that of that um you know chain and you know they have you know large tires and big engines and all this other stuff but the head neck and safety device when cars have accidents has been one of the things that's been developed based on time after drivers were put out of races due to injury because of head neck permanently so it doesn't just cripple them temporarily it cripples them permanently you know, until this thing came around. What's the same thing in a business, right? If you work in the security apparatus, it's one thing for there to be a disruption in your chain. It's something else to provide a solution that keeps that disruption from being a permanent one, right? Creative problem solving, working with other teams. The thing about security is we're one of very few organizations, one of very few functions in an organization that touches every part and every person in the organization from top to bottom. One of very few. I think HR is the other one. Uh, other people may create rules, and they, right? If you think about legal, or, or they may pay them, but we touch everybody every day, all the time, from top to bottom. They just mm-hmm. don't realize it. So, so I think there's some of that in there too. Absolutely. Um, so, so, so uh, in your peers' position, chief security officer, vice president, in your peers' position, as you sit there and work with your teams, you're your most frequent partners on the team, the ones you engage with the most, uh, and most of your peers engage with the most, who, who are those people? I, I, listen, it varies. Um, I, I've had the distinct honor and pleasure working for a, a multitude of organizations, two, two specific ones. Um, daily, it's supply chain operations, legal, and HR. I probably talk to all of those partners every day. Um, 
supply chain operations, legal and HR in some capacity because you're dealing with people, um, process, product, mm-hmm. and, and and regulatory. Um, but you know, we, we also, you know, everybody knows security is responsive and reactive and gates, guards, and guns. So when you think about access control and information control, well, every employee does that, right? So, so you know, it's it's hard to pinpoint who our partners are. Those are my partners every day because they're standard meetings. We talk about strategy. We talk about being nimble and, and, and being able to pivot with what our common trends are. Uh, and whether that's business facing or just the weather, right? We have to be able to, to try to foresee, right? Uh, a mature program is, is a quest to reach proactive, predictive, and preventative uh, spaces and help the business see around corners. So if I, the, the better, the, the faster I am at providing information that's actionable for them, the more successful our function seems to be. You know, right? digital, digital transformation is really interesting because. If you, you know, you talk to uh, Jeff Bezos, one of the mantras he's had for, what, 20 years is faster, better, cheaper, faster, better, cheaper. What's the client experience in going faster, better, cheaper? And I just heard kind of some resonance with you in, in that function, too, as you work with your executive team is how do we get closer to real time customer experience, if you will, in the risk resilience security function? Am I making that up or did I hear that in your voice? No, I mean, you know. Uh, I had a I had a I have a buddy and uh, he and I worked together in a function a long time ago in the government, um, which was designed to help um, secure major events and U.S. equities. And one of the things he coined, uh, his name is Ron as well, but one of the things he coined was the three pillars. But it applies the same way you're saying. But the three pillars in that case, and I think it applies to security more broadly, are information sharing, capacity building, and re- and reducing emergency response time. So if you think of what we do as a function, if you think of how we partner with other people, and if you think of how we have a mission to try to do things safely, faster, better, cheaper, um, how do we do that, right? We want to know what everybody else knows as fast as we can. We want to help build our capacity and sometimes theirs, right? If we have partners and they can't do it faster or better, then our job is to help them do that. And then reducing the response time when something goes wrong for our equities. Right. So so that's you know, those are the those are the three pillars that became the foundation of how we built our programming and they remain the three pillars of how I build programs and and manage programs. You know, how do we share information? So we have people. So we're, we're connectors, right? We give those that we put those that need with those that have. And then, you know, we help build the capacity through education. Hey, this is why it matters. And, you know, you got to assume that things that can go wrong will. Most folks don't believe that way because that isn't their experience, but that comes back to the proximity piece, right? And safety and security, it doesn't matter until it matters, but that's because it's it's on you, right? It's, it's proximate at that point. We try to have the conversation before it's proximate because if we can avoid it or leverage it, then it no longer becomes a threat because it's no longer proximate right. and it won't be, right? Um, so. so as a a business guy, the way I used to do that with my peers is make sure I included the key people in my strategic planning process. Uh, at the top of the one-page business plan was what the CEO had agreed with the team to be our most important goals. 
And that was the top of the plan. And then my role was to sit to create a strategic plan around my particular silo, if you will, my discipline to achieve those goals from my vantage point and then communicate that all the way down. Now you have cultural buy-in to the vision. You have uh-huh. engagement of your people if you do that really well. And, and again, the interconnection with the other aspects of the enterprise. I can't do it alone, so I need help from HR. I need help from finance. Blah. So are you starting to see with you and your peers that you are embedded somehow in their strategic planning process? Well, absolutely. And 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 part of what we do is we have to talk and think like they do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to just a support mechanism. You know, we're we're um, forward leaning and we're working through a future back planning process now where we where we ask questions of our partners about our strategic goals holistically, organizationally, enterprise wide, looking five years out and then coming backwards. What do we need to do to be able to continue to add value? with that plan in mind, hmm. you know, because, you know, because, you know, patients and money are at a premium, patients and capital <laughs> are at a premium, right? So, right. you know, they have a plan and they're going to spend a bunch of money there, but they're not going to spend it on you too. So you have to meet them where they're going. That's right. Right. Yeah, or, or beat them even better, beat them where they're going so that right. you can continue to add value where they're at. Um, but bringing them along is the best part. But for us to be, to, for us to be able to articulate and bring them along, it requires us to be brought along to understand where we're going in the first place. So when you're in the strategic planning process, then remember, uh, again, I'm, I'm talking as one of the, one of your business peers. Uh-huh. I can pretty, pretty much in a, in a business model, by the way, most people don't realize at the top of the food chain in a, in a business plan, in a business model is the client value proposition. And that is what is your customer need? to be able to exchange, have a transaction of value with you. And then to support that plan is the resource model, otherwise known as expenses. So it's going to take these kind of resources to affect the end result of the CVP, the client value proposition. And of course, the end result of that, that navigation between those two spheres is revenue and profit, right? So what's interesting to me because I'm kind of tired. I, I'm sorry, everyone. I'm sorry, because you're probably not tired of this question, but I'm kind of tired of the idea that security can't make a good argument around value proposition and even maybe some capital cost sharing if you're part of the strategic planning process uh, and you're you're fully aware of how they're navigating risk and opportunity in their own sphere of influence. So are we seeing are, are we seeing budgetarily, if you will, if that's even a word, are we seeing budgetarily uh, a a shared experience around expense and and value, just like you would in 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 a in a uh, in a sphere of influence like ops, sales, marketing, so on and so forth. Well, well sure, but to your point, to to uh, to cost value proposition, I'd lay it out in a business plan. Like we make a business case to talk about why we should, we should share the cost of things. Yes. You know, security for a long time, they, they still love to describe it. Even some security professionals will say we're a cost center. And that's absolutely not the case, right? Our job is to keep profit in your pocket and to be a growth, growth driver. If you can play in markets and make people actually be safer or feel safer in environments that they used to believe are unsafe, 
Sometimes it's uncontested market share, which drives revenue in ways that the business didn't think about before. Um, so it requires conversations and understanding that are built in a business model, right? We're great at, at telling anecdotal stories about why things are scary or why they're dangerous or what the <laughs> risk is, but we're not very good at sharing that data that illustrates, you know, look, you, you've seen these in onesies and twosies, but there's actually been 44 of them and it's cost you $2.6 million. We can eliminate that by doing these three things, right? Because, you know, if, if I'm taking a dollar from you every day, you don't recall that it's $365, right? <laughs> Over time, it adds up. And I think that's that's the other thing is we have to break it down to say, well, why? And if you if you start with the why, some risks aren't worth acting on or some are more uh, important than others. And you have to prioritize them based not what we see, but what they see. And that's a discussion, right? And classically trained security professionals sometimes come from environments that are strictly risk avoidable. You know, they, they want to avoid risk or accept it. Well, there's other options. I was we have to you. know what the risk tolerance is, right? So I was with a young man last night, 17, entering his college years. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he was asking me what the biggest challenge going forward would be over the next four years. And I said, uh, you spent 17 years learning, and now you're going to spend four years seeking a certificate that says you've learned. (laughs) (laughs) That's your biggest challenge. He goes, what do you mean by that? And I go, well, it's okay, and I'm gonna draw the line back to what you just said. It's okay to go through the traditional security education to go get our, you know, PSP and our CPP and whatever. It's okay. That's okay. As long as the story doesn't bind us to seeking innovations and clarity outside outside those disciplines, the story, the narrative can change. And that's a very hard concept because we go through, we go through our life thinking learned is good enough. When, and so you are a classic example of this. Stephen, you've been asking ever since I've known you, you've been asking questions of your business peers that get you to understanding that get you to a demonstration of value. So what what's your what's your secret there? What would you advise your peers? And if Ron if Ron said you don't need your PhD in business to do this, you need maybe a different mindset, right? Well yeah, you know you say ask I ask questions of, of my business partners. I don't know if that's a curse or a blessing. It, it has provided answers. <laughs> but sometimes it's more, more, more painful than others. But, uh, um, but I think that's how you get to, you know, I seek to understand. And I, and I think that's the perspective of if we understand, truly understand that some of that is empathetic. So, so some of that's empathy. But if we, if we listen to understand, people will tell you what they're looking for. And, when you can give them what they believe they're looking for, sometimes they're actually asking for the wrong thing, right? I always use the example of Henry Ford. At some point, somebody wanted faster horses. If you gave them what they wanted, you would have gotten more and bigger horses. But Henry Ford made this thing called a car. They're like, you know what? It sounds like you just want to do this thing differently. What about this, right? It's, it's that kind of thing. Well, actually, but, what you just said is Henry Ford, and this could be you and some of the other leading (laughs) security but but just for a second what henry ford actually said is 
it's okay to ask them what they want, but don't get tied to what they want because what they need may be a different Maybe question. something. To, there you yeah. go. There, right. And, and asking questions gets to actually, are we even asking the right questions? Right. Right. So, you know, from a, from a business standpoint, um, most, most of those that have the certified business degrees are familiar with Porter's value chain analysis. There are some security professionals that are not. But when you understand how people communicate, it's easy to articulate what you do in its value chain in their business the way that they are used to classically trained or understand it to be. And then the conversation changes. Right. There's accidental talk passes, uh, talk paths simply because of how we communicate sometimes. And that could be us to them or them to us. Um, so, so I think that's the other part. You know, I ask a lot of questions partly because I just seek to understand and I assume that I'm communicating ineffectively first and often, which is most of the times the case. Right. <laughs> it's, e- it's easy to ask the right question, Stephen, when you're learning the language of your peers by whether it's reading Porter's book, uh, you know, finding out what they read, what they understand, what they rely on as their source material for creating their mindset, their mind model. And that's the only way you can get to the great questions, I think. Is that what you're saying? That, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly this, uh, so I just a segue then before you and I head off to this conference with a learning mindset that leads to in, uh, inquisitive thinking, that leads to value insights that can be actualized, operationalized, you can get proactive, predictive, repetitive, which might lead you to a quote-unquote unfair competitive advantage in the marketplace. That sure doesn't sound like security, but it is. That's what I'm hearing from Stephen Antoine. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And this is why we always have a great conversation with Stephen Antoine. Thank you very much, Stephen. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate it.